Hello, or should I say bonjour, and welcome to this special Fabulous France bonus episode of The Travel Diaries. I'm here ahead of what we hope will be a momentous day for the travel industry, which has suffered so much over the past few months, as UK international travel restrictions are expected to begin to lift. And for so many of you, crossing the channel will be your first port of call. In fact, France is so wonderful that in 2018, it became the most visited country in the world by tourists. And it's no surprise, given its rich culture, stunning cities, delicious food and wine, glorious beaches, rolling hills and towering mountains, it has something for everyone. If, like me, you're yearning to get there, then this is the episode for you. I've enlisted the help of some of my favourite guests over the past two seasons to create a special itinerary that covers the best bits of France. Some you'll have heard of, others you won't, but one thing's for sure, it will be an amazing whistle-stop tour. But first, let's catch up with Telegraph and Lonely Planet France expert and France resident herself, Nicola Williams. I spoke to Nicola yesterday about the latest information on the current situation in France. And be sure to stay tuned later on as she reveals her hidden gems around the country. Nicola, welcome to The Travel Diaries. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for having me, Holly. It's really, really nice to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure. We've, of course, been kind of emailing back and forth over the last few weeks. You're based out in France and we've been discussing the prospect of travel to France this summer. (laughs) It's something that's been evolving on an almost daily basis, it feels, isn't it? Definitely. And I think now it's almost there, which is just such a delight to be able to say. So for people from the UK who are hoping to travel to France soon, Mm -hmm. what is the current situation as it stands? Well, basically, the current situation is, as you're no doubt aware, since the 8th of June, there's been the mandatory two week quarantine in place for all arrivals to the UK, which effectively makes international travel, including travel to France, impossible. But hopefully from the 6th of July, this is set to change. Um, As you and everyone has no doubt read in all the papers, there's been a lot of talk about air bridges being created between different, well, between the UK and various low risk Mm -hmm. countries. And basically what this means is it'll be possible to holiday in these countries this summer without having to quarantine when you return home to Britain. Um, So the state of play now today is that we're waiting for the government to confirm the final list of destinations with which this will apply. This is meant to be on Wednesday and it looks like, um, I mean, Spain, Italy, Switzerland, Croatia, they're almost certainly all on the list. And well, I think 100% definitely I'm going to say La Belle France. So this basically means from yeah. the, this will be, I know. So from this will be announced on Wednesday, unless anything changes. And then it will be applicable from the 6th of July, which I think is a Monday, actually. Right. Okay. So we're hoping for the announcement on Wednesday of this week, which is the the day today's episode is released. Mm-hmm. And hopefully then the following Monday, we'll be able to travel. Hopefully, yes. Yeah. I mean, how it works is this system, they're calling it a sort of the traffic light system. So each country with which they create an air bridge, that country will be classified green, amber or red by the British government. And that's basically a reflection of the COVID risk. If the country becomes red, the 14 day quarantine will immediately kick back in upon returning to the UK. So it's very much Mm -hmm. a system that will be reviewed every week, I think the government have said. But for France at the moment, cases are impressively low. 
Um, at the moment, we're down to about 20 deaths a day, and it's been like that for a few weeks now. That's reassuring. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, and actually what's very reassuring is since we've come out of lockdown, there's been no spike in cases, which has been since the 15th of May. So, I mean, it looks like France will definitely be classified green or amber, depending on the government's criteria, but i.e. no quarantine. Mm. And then actually the only, the only other thing that people do need to consider is obviously the Foreign and Commonwealth Office at the moment. They advise against all non-essential international travel. And again, it's assumed once the government put in place and officially launched these air bridges and the traffic light system, presumably the Foreign Office will then make it possible. They'll then there change their current advice to allow non-essential international travel to those mm. countries. And this actually mm. then means it'll be possible to purchase travel insurance. Because the other big thing at the moment is as long as the Foreign Office advises against travel, travel assurance is impossible to get. So that is the other final yeah, thing that's so important. Yeah, oh, really important. And then I guess the only other thing that really goes without saying, I mean, this travel situation globally, everywhere, it's still quite volatile. Things can change really quickly. And so ultimately, mm-hmm. before you book anything, before you decide to travel, I would just always check the latest advice from the Foreign and Commonwealth Office and just see what they're saying. And their page, they have a special page on France that should be updated and check that before you head off. Great advice. And we have a lot of listeners that are actually living in mainland Europe as well. Mm-hmm. For them, what's the current situation for travelling to France? Is that different? That is different. I mean, we've had, but France has had, within the EU and Schengen region, the borders um, within the EU have been open since the 15th of June. So in terms of mainland Europe, within the EU and Schengen zone, there's been free movement of travel since the 15th mm-hmm. from the 1st of July um, the EU will open its international borders but again there will be some I think for example they've announced this week that the US won't be on that list again pretty much like the British mm-hmm. government actually I mean they're assessing the COVID risk in different destinations and deciding whether the EU borders will be open to that country or not so again, it's something to be checked. Mm. But certainly within Europe, I mean, it's pretty much freedom of movement now. So for example, you can fly to France, you can then happily motor your way to France, to sorry, to Switzerland, to Italy, um, with no complications whatsoever. And you've been living in France, you live near to the Swiss border, do you know? Yeah, no, I do. I live right on the southern side of Lake Geneva, right next to, well, right next to Geneva, a bit in France, yes. What has it been like during this time? And, and really how... How has it felt uh, being kind of coming out of lockdown in in that part of France? Well, it's been really interesting because I've lived actually here for 15 years. And as as you mentioned, I live right on the border. And it was such a bizarre sensation really to know for the first time ever that the border was closed between France and Switzerland. And I have to say, I mean, lockdown in France was very, very strict. Um, We spent 55 days in lockdown from the 15th of March to 15th of May. Mm. Um, We were allowed out for an hour a day to exercise alone. We had an official form. We had to fill in if we went out. We were fined if we didn't have the form. And also, I think people, certainly where I live, it's quite a rural region ultimately. And people, I felt overall, did really really respect the, the restrictions how is it feeling now well now to be really frank it's as normal as it's ever going to get at least until there's a vaccine I think I mean everything is open okay. restaurants and bars are open we can travel wherever we want as I, as I mentioned before we can travel anywhere within France anywhere within Europe it sort of feels 
normal again in terms of the new normal, um, if we can say. But actually, it's surprising how quickly you adapt as well. At the beginning, it was just so weird to think we could go anywhere. And almost you didn't want to, you didn't. You still stayed at home. Yeah. But gradually, day by day, week by week, you realise people are slowly gaining confidence again. And, and what kind of things are being put into place to reaffirm that confidence for travellers, would you say, and for locals too? There's fairly strict rules being applied in France now, all with the idea of effectively containing any cases straight away that arise because I mean one thing's very important the virus is still present as it is all over Europe and all over the world mm. they now have a very they've implemented a large test and trace system which seems to be really effective it's it sort of gives you confidence to know if a case arises straight away it's traced it's you know people going to isolation and it seems to be being kept under under control for restaurants and cafes and bars for the moment there's strict social distancing of one meter and actually that's interesting because we've only ever had one meter right from the very beginning one meter is actually quite manageable to maintain because it doesn't seem such an unnatural distance if that makes sense mm. so effectively you still have to maintain a one meter social distance in restaurants and cafes tables inside have to have a one meter distance between them which again doesn't really change a lot ex with the exception of bistros in paris where tables really wedged wedged together what is quite significant is the use of masks now and i would say that anybody who travels to france come with your own little stash of masks uh, they're easy to buy in mm. supermarkets and pharmacies they're now widely available but um, it's quite nice to have your own flowery, flowery mask or whatever design yeah. you fancy. Well, with One, your own personality. Absolutely. But actually the mask, what is actually quite significant, you have to, masks are obligatory on public transport all over the country. So in Paris, on the metro, in cable cars, in the Alps, um, all public transport. And you are fined if you don't wear your mask. It's 135 euros. They strictly implement that. So that is quite important. Okay. Um, also in museums, most museums are requiring a mask. Shops, it's up to the discretion of the shopkeeper. Um, social distancing on beaches, because I imagine lots of people will be hitting the beaches. Um, mm. You're allowed groups of up to 10. Um, so obviously families and groups of friends, they don't have to social distance on a beach. But the distance between groups needs to be a metre. There's a real preference for outside dining now. And actually, um, local mayors have been allowed to hand over extra bits of the street and pavements to restaurants and cafes. So terraces are huge now. They're even bigger than they were before. So there really is a lot of outside dining. Um, and that's, that's been, wonderful. Yeah, no, it's really lovely, really, really lovely. So that's um, a big plus. Um, and actually, the other really important thing for people intending to visit museums and things, a lot of the large museums, um, especially in Paris, for example, to restrict the number of people visiting the museum, they're doing online reservations in advance. Okay. So if you want to visit the Louvre or the Eiffel Tower, go online buy your ticket in advance and you actually get a specific time slot when you can visit that museum and that that's how they're controlling their numbers actually. Are you planning a French staycation this summer? <laughs> well this is very interesting because we've had we've had this big debate where we're going and actually yeah no we're um my husband and I are going to spend a week walking the GR5, which is a hiking route which links Lake Geneva to Nice on the Riviera. So it goes the whole way through the Alps. And since lockdown, we've been doing a couple of day hikes because it obviously goes right past our region. But we've, we've sort of reached the point now where we need to go. We can't drive in a day to where we want to go and then walk all day, then come home. So we're going to do, do a week of that. Um, which will be really Lovely. good fun. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I have to admit, I still, I don't have a burning desire to 
go down south and I have to say a lot of French people are very much saying oh no we're going to go up to Brittany to Normandy to the Atlantic coast because I think there's a big fear that everyone's going to descend onto the beaches and on the Riviera but also for someone coming from Britain driving it's perfect because to be honest I think all of the north and the Atlantic coast won't be as busy and that's much easier to drive to should you be coming you know by car and just as gorgeous Oh, definitely. No, definitely. And I think it will be less crowded. I've just been writing a piece now about various wildernesses, you know, the sort of unknown wildernesses in France. And there's loads of lovely places you can go to. It's, I mean, along this GR5 that I'm walking um, for our summer holiday, you can spend the whole day and you pass one or two hikers at the most. It's um, it's amazing. It's, um, you know, magnificent scenery. Mm. Um, the air is fresher, even though it's very hot. No, it really is... Um, it's delightful. I mean, I think now I have a really newfound appreciation for France and for what's on my doorstep. Um, and just traveling slower. But also, I mean, I'm also really itching to go to Paris for the very reason that now is the time to go because there's not that many tourists. And all the museums, I mean, the Parisians are yeah. loving having their city all to themselves. They're enjoying it so much. And I think even even this summer, I think less people will go to cities. They, they will avoid the crowded places. So in a way, that's almost the time to go to them. Um, it'll be a different experience. It'll be different. It'll be wonderful, yeah. I still think. And I think if everybody, you know, they follow the rules, because in France, even though the French are very much known as for disobeying rules, these rules are being quite strictly <laughs> applied. Um, and I also think out of respect for the local community, it's really important that um, holidaymakers, you know, they do respect the social distance, they do wear the masks when they're required to, etc. And then, you know, they're welcomed everywhere and everybody's happy and it, hopefully things will keep going in the right direction. Fantastic. Okay, right. Well, now it's time to get going on today's tour around France. What better place to start this tour than with its stunning capital, Paris? Famed for being both the city of light and love, my first guest is TV chef Nadia Hussein, who brings to life the buzz and energy of Paris beautifully. If the romance wasn't enough, we then turn to Paris's heartbeat, its food. For this, there's no better guide than chef and author Rachel Koo, who lived in Paris for eight years, setting up her little Paris kitchen. And lastly, you'll need somewhere to stay. And I've enlisted the advice of Condé Nast Travelers, editor-in-chief Melinda Stevens to give a rundown of her favorite hotels in the city. Okay, let's go. Bon voyage. The first time I ever traveled outside of Bangladesh was Paris. And it was um, a trip that my husband and I desperately wanted to do. And we had two very young kids. And I'm one of those parents who I really struggle to ask for help. So I, I, I would kind of like, I want to do everything myself. And I, it took all of my willpower to ask my mum to look after the kids. And I was like, mum, just two days. Um, and even then I was supposed to ask her for three days. And I was like, no, I'm not leaving them for three days. Three oh. days is too much. They were only three and two right. at the time. And I said, no, mum, I've got to, I'm going to leave them with you. And I went to Paris and we did, um, <clears throat> we went to the Eiffel Tower, but that was the first place that I'd ever traveled to outside of Bangladesh and not with my own family. And how was it? How did it feel? I mean, everything about Paris is just, you know, you hear about it, you read about it in novels, you read about it in, you know, you read about it in travel books, you read about it in magazines, you hear stories. And there's this kind of romantic um, nature of Paris that you kind of, 
I kind of want it to be proven wrong. I want it to go there and say, oh, it's not, it's not that good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is exactly that. It is everything that you read. It lived up books. to your expectations and, and more, some. Yeah. And more. It was incredible. And maybe it was because it was our first trip away and it was with my husband. But as much as I fell in love with it, I was desperate to get home to the kids. So I said yeah. to my husband, after we got married in this country, which was only a couple of months ago, which wasn't very long ago, um, I said to my husband, we've got to go back to Paris. Can we just go back to Paris? Because I'm much more comfortable leaving the kids behind now. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, I'm all right with them being looked after by someone. So um, I was like, can we go back to Paris? So I think for me, it'd have to be Paris. And then not to mention the patisseries, of course. Oh, yeah, absolutely. One thing I would recommend, which is accessible to everyone, is go to a food market um there's a food market on every day of the week apart from monday uh and usually each neighborhood will have one once or twice a week um if you're not sure which one's on usually you can find it online or there's also always in the 14th arrondissement marche de lique which is uh tuesday to sunday saturday sunday it's the biggest market they have an antique like uh, part and pick up a baguette pick up some lovely fruit, pick up some cheese, some ham, uh, go to a park, go to the canal and have a picnic. And then I probably have not one but two favourite hotels in in Paris. Uh, The Bristol, I stay in for most Paris Fashion Weeks and I just, the staff there are so remarkable and it smells delicious. Mm. Sometimes the best hotels I think are more than the sum of their parts. At the Mercer in New York, a, a lot of Andre Bellage's hotels actually. I think if you if you break them down, they don't. It doesn't really all make sense. But somehow the ones, and if you break the Bristol down, it doesn't really make sense. You walk straight into a kind of strange, kind of arched room, but it's kind of arched the wrong way, and yet it has charisma. Mm-hmm. And then the other one in the city that I love so much is La Reserve, which is in an old building it's very sumptuously done it's like someone's private house and um but it's very decadent and joyful and between those two places during paris we always have lots of family lots of friends and lots of very beautiful parisian times so from paris it's a really easy 40 minute tgv train journey or a two-hour drive to one of the most beautiful regions of france champagne And here, there's no better place to stay than Royal Champagne Hotel and Spa. I know this because I'm heading there later this summer and I've done my research. This hotel is so special because it is the first contemporary luxury five-star hotel in the area and its location is spectacular. It's on a hill surrounded by vineyards and every room and suite has these far-stretching views of the Champagne Valley, as does the spa pool and restaurants, I'm told. For foodies, it has a Michelin star restaurant, Le Royale, which showcases the gorgeous produce of the region. And for spa lovers, this is one to add to your list because it looks extraordinary. It's enormous, has incredible treatments. It's one I'm really excited about. What I'm hoping to do when I visit is to have a chat with the in-house concierge at the hotel who are able to get you exclusive access to private champagne houses, as well as tasting and harvesting sessions with local wine and champagne producers, which... I think if you're visiting the region is just such a bonus. And after all that indulgence, I'm looking forward to retreating to one of their sumptuous rooms for a good night's sleep. So I'm really looking forward to going to Royal Champagne Hotel and Spa. <laughs> 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do? Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. And from Champagne now, we're heading south to Clermont-Ferrand, which is your stopping point to discover the wonders of the Auvergne region. The Auvergne is right in the middle of France and the Massif Central mountain range. And your guide for this leg is none other than food royalty Rick Stein, who thinks the region is a real hidden gem. I would have a, a very big sort of trying to influence people to go to the Auvergne, right? It's one of those parts of France which isn't so visited by British people. Um, Where in France is that? It's right in the Massif Central. Right. And, uh, not only the Auvergne, but I would urge people to go to the town, the city of Clermont-Ferrand, which is the capital city of that area, simply because I think it's where the Michelin Tire Company ha- has its big tar factories, but the city itself is a university city. It's got a most beautiful cathedral. It's got its own sort of culture, and it's not very well visited by by tourists, and um, I I can't quite understand why because I I loved it. But but then you've got the surrounding countryside, which is the Auvergne, which is really steep hills, almost verging into mountains, but not quite. And actually, some of it's a sort of place that time forgot. So a lot of the local restaurants in the Auvergne are very very well run and 
specialise in only local food. So it's, it's a, a place it's to a, go for an authentic French experience. I would, I would say absolutely, yeah. Mm. And, um, so that that for me, I mean, there's obviously wonderful other parts that I visited the Jura, particularly which I love, and um, Roussillon, right down at Calour and Pepignon, where we've got this fantastic Cat- Catalonian food. But I think the Auvergne was the one that I, the memory I bring back, the mm. Auvergne and Clermont-Ferrand. Next, we're heading south as Chef Raymond Blanc shares his love of the sights and tastes of Provence. And from tastes to scents, we then head further south as Joe Malone takes us to the Côte d'Azur, to the beautiful hilltop towns of Grasse and Saint-Paul-de-Vence, where she discovered a love of fragrance that changed her life. The first place I fell in love with is all about travel and a deep friendship. Mm-hmm. Of a friend from the age of two, we lived together. That friend, at the age of 13, his family went away in Provence. Provence was like the end of the world. And I was broken hearted because he was my best friend. Mm-hmm. You know, we went in the forest together, gathered the food together, you know, uh, did all the things that kids do. You know, he was my best friend. He would protect me because he was sweeter than me at all time. Yeah. And he was my best friend. There was such a fantastic connection. So when I went to Provence, eventually after a year he had left, I went to Provence and his family. And I discovered truly a country which was totally, entirely different from my Franche-Comté. The Franche-Comté in winter, you've got 70 centimeters of snow. The winter lasts six months. You know, it's blasting with rain, with, with ice, with sheets of, uh, of hail. It's cold, less 20 degrees. That's the coldest part of France. So suddenly I see all these extraordinary colors, these blues like I've never seen, this marketplace with the fish which I'd never seen. Totally, everything was different. The herbs were different. The fish were different. The weather were different. The smell of the countryside was different with the wild thyme, the sage, the rosemary, you know, mm. in the garrigue. It was the smell, the lavender, fields of lavender. Oh, my God, it was... And the first time I saw the sea, the first time I saw the How sea... How old were you? I think I was uh, 13, mm. 13. So, so, you see, so I was not... I told you, I'm not very well-traveled. Okay, I took, I took that long to go in the south of France. Yeah. But it was an extraordinary discovery at all levels, culinary speaking as well. All, they used olive oil, we used corn oil, okay, or grape seed oil. Yeah. You, know, uh, you know, there was 10 times more garlic than in Provence, and there was, we were all reekings of garlic, okay. Yeah. There was these stews of bouillabaisse, which were divine, totally new flavors, you know, where the tomato was king, you know, and beautiful fat marmont tomatoes with all the herbs inside and the fish inside stewed slowly with loads of garlic. And then you did a mayonnaise called aioli and it was heavenly. It was, everything was new. The place that turned my destiny. Gary and I were only just married and I was running a skincare clinic and I had these dreams about creating fragrance. And again, what people probably don't know is I never trained. I'm not a nose. I just had this natural ability to be able to create fragrance. And we went to Grasse uh, in France. And we, I was just so determined to go to where 
fragrance, the home of fragrance. And I, we stayed in this really cheapy little hotel, which was horrid actually. But we were at the top of the hill and we had to walk down, I think, to um, the square in the evening. We walked through these little cobbled streets and grass is just beautiful. It was all like terracotta walls and turquoise shutters, like vibrant blue. And there was an air about it. And, and the way people walked, we found this little square and we sat down and we had steak frites and a carafe of rosé wine. And there was a flower market in the background. And then I looked up and I said, what's that over there? And, he, and someone said, it's the perfume museum. And I walked up into the perfume museum. That was where I fell in love. And I knew within my heart, this was this was my home and this was what I was going to do for the rest of my life and I visit there three times a year it's for no. grass is very different now than it really? was but you as you drive into grass you open the car window or if you ever go get a drop down uh, roof and and breathe in and in like may you'll smell the rose de mai you'll smell the harvests coming in early morning you'll sm- smell the jasmine just sitting in the air and it is probably one of the most beautiful places uh, creatively for me on earth. I mean, listen, if you ever want all the places to go in Grasse and in that region, Mujon is one of the most beautiful villages. And Mujon feeds my soul. There is something about this little place. And it's it's not far. You, you can get everywhere within 20 minutes in a car. And Mujon, you drive up and it's where Picasso had a house. And when he lost his creativity... He went to Mujon and looked out and he felt the energy. And the, I believe that creative energy stays in places and it's definitely in Mujon. Um, and I went and I stood in the same place as he looked out. And I just have idea after idea after idea. He, that's a beautiful little mm. little place. Mujon, Valbon and uh, Saint-Port-de-Vence. So Saint-Port-de-Vence is on the top of a hill. And there is a a wonderful hotel called the Column d'Or and it has a lemon tree garden where you can go and have tea. And I tell you, I sit many times there and have a cup of tea and I create citrus notes over and over and over and over and over again. Mm, She's such a beautiful storyteller. I could almost smell the scents as she took us through that region, couldn't you? So we've now reached the most southerly point on this trip and we're turning back north for our final stop. For this, pop star Ella Eyre takes us deep into the Alps to a lesser-known mountain village of La Clusas, which sits between Lake Annecy on one side and Mont Blanc on the other. I went to this place called La Clusas in, I think it's France. Mm -hmm. It is France. Um... And maybe like two years ago, and me and my boyfriend, when we first um, started dating, we one of our things that we started doing was learning to snowboard. And so we'd go to like one of the dry slopes, like in Milton Keynes or something, Um, and then like got a bit cocky and we thought we were quite good. So we just decided to book this random trip to Le Clouzaz Resort skiing resort in France we flew to Geneva and then it was an hour drive from there mm-hmm. and we booked this gorgeous cabin called Dreamtime Cabin um on like booking.com or something like that and um had it was only three or four days but it was absolutely gorgeous we had we were in this like wooden hut the hut had its own wooden hot tub that was like fire fueled oh love and it was just stunning and it just felt like very rural and not very, like, we were a million miles away from London, that's for sure. And then, obviously, threw ourselves on top of a mountain and threw ourselves off some blue routes that we were very, like, unprepared for. Like, we apparently we chose the worst blue route that was almost a red route as well. And we didn't get any lessons when we were there on the first day. And we were, like, the second day, we were, like, 
okay, we need we need a coach. We need someone yeah, to tell yeah, us yeah. what we're doing because <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. But it was just a really fun place to go. The town was gorgeous, really small, but all the restaurants we ate at were amazing. I remember the very first meal we had, we had, um, I think it's called raclette. Oh, yeah, I love some raclette. I've never had it before, but we just like, so that looks cheese. good, let's get that. And it was unbelievable. It was the best wine I'd ever had, best cheese I'd ever had. And it just really set the the tone for that for that whole trip. Oh, there we go. A tour around France. So much that I'm looking forward to seeing. So much variety. God, it is such a huge country. (laughs) Were any of those some of your top spots, Nicola? Well, I have to say, I mean, who can resist Paris? Seriously. I mean, I think very few people, unless they absolutely hate cities full stop, it's really difficult not to visit Paris and be completely charmed by some aspect of it. Um, I must admit, Raymond Blanc, when he spoke, he completely won my heart because I also absolutely love Provence. And the way he speaks about the fruit, the vegetables, the herbs, just the colours and aromas. I mean, that is, for me, what Provence is around, is about. A kind of sensory experience like no other. I think it's the sunshine. You feel you're practically eating sunshine and smelling it in absolutely everything you see and do. Glorious. I'm anticipating that when we are able to travel again, that there'll be a rise in, you know, autonomous travel, being able to, you know, get in your car, if you have one or rent a car here in the UK and, and to be able to just get in a car, be in a bubble and drive somewhere. So, you know, getting on the on the tunnel or mm-hmm. um, going on a ferry so that travellers feel that they don't really encounter as much risk and head straight to a destination. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you think of a place, you know, places in France that would be good for that, some of it is easily accessible in that way? Well, I have to I mean, essentially the whole of Brittany, Normandy, Western France, all of the Atlantic coast, really, really few cases. Um, and I must say one of my favourite destinations in France, very difficult to decide, I should add, falls bang slap in that in the well it's in the Atlantic Ocean Ile de Ré which I just absolutely adore (laughs) have you been there Holly no I've never been and I've always wanted to go where you cycle oh it's just it's wonderful and I am like as you said I'm thinking when people are finally able to get out and travel somewhere um They don't want to be among lots and lots of people. They don't probably necessarily want to be in their car because a lot of people have hardly driven in the the past couple of months. I know me, when I jump in my Mm -hmm. car, it feels quite alien. Um, But (laughs) Ile de Ré is absolutely fantastic. Admittedly, in July and August, it can go very busy. But I suspect, I don't think anywhere is going to go crazily busy this um, summer, to be really honest. Um, It's a lovely island, completely car-free. It's linked by Toll Bridge um, to La Rochelle, which is on the um, Atlantic coast. A beautiful um, small town in itself. Ile de Ré, it's, it's got three or four villages. Um, every village, it's these whitewashed houses with lots of natural greens and blues. I think they all have wooden shutters and little lace curtains. Um, I mean, it really is sort of French seaside chic at its best, and I just love it. Something about that sea air as well that I think we could all do with right now. Absolutely, it's wonderful. And what I always do, I mean, I arrive in Saint-Martin-de-Ré, which is the main town, um, and it's a lovely, it's an old fishing port arranged around the port. There's local fishermen, they sell their fish there from the boats in the morning. There's the indoor food market, which is the perfect spot to get a picnic or fresh oysters, I should add. Um, an amazing ice cream shop, La Martiniere, which absolutely, is, I think is one of the best in France. The ice cream is almost as good as Italian gelato. 
Um, and actually from there, there's a lovely coastal path that winds its way across to Ars Andre, which is another lovely village. Um, and en route, I mean, the path literally follows the seashore. You pass a couple of oyster oyster farms where the farmers, typically the season runs from March to October, they will literally shuck the oysters for you and you sit there, they give you a glass of wine because it's impossible not to have oysters without a glass of white wine. <laughs> and you just sit there surround you know staring at the the sea eating these oysters which literally i mean they taste of the sea it's absolutely wonderful really lovely that sounds absolutely glorious what a wonderful recommendation and i'm also really curious given that you know the country so well to hear what your hidden gem might be because i know that we're all going to really need to try to avoid flocking straight to these honeypot spots, you know, the ones that mm-hmm. we all know that could fall um, into the over-tourism risk zone. So are there any spots that we might not know about that you might reveal to well, us? Well, I don't actually know if I should be telling you this, Holly. <laughs> a lot of people say that. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I must admit, actually, I'm a big fan of the region in which I live, which is Haute-Savoie. Um, and I think actually, yeah, and um, I mean, people know it for the mountains. So what um, region of France is that? It's right next to the Alps. So we have a lot of ski resorts. There's Leger, uh, Morzine, Avodia, um, La Clusa. All of that is Haute-Savoie, which is actually where I live. And what's lovely with this region, um, which makes it a brilliant holiday destination as well, even though most people skiing, winter, lots of people, but in summer there's it's very, very few people. Um, you have the mountains for hiking, but then you also have the lake because it falls onto the shore of Lake Geneva. Um, and so my mm-hmm. hidden gem is this tiny little village called Nernier, which is right on the lake. Um, it's not really included in any guidebook because it's pretty small. And what's wonderful about it is boats, old paddle steamers, yo-yo across the lake to Switzerland, to the other side. So you're in this village, the other, there's Lake Geneva in front of you, then there's Switzerland in the mountains, the Swiss Jura on the other side. Um, mm-hmm. Beautiful little lanes, cobbled lanes filled with Maison du Village, covered in ivy. Now the wisteria is absolutely magnificent. The entire village smells oh. of this lilac um, wisteria. Oh, there's, it's, it's wonderful. And there's a, there's a restaurant called the Restaurant du Lac, which has its terrace right at the port. It was a fishing village, but now effectively there's just pleasure boats. There. And there's a few pop-up art galleries, Restaurant du Lac, you can sit and eat filet de perche, which is pike perch fillets in English. And that's a lake fish, mm-hmm. um, which is a sort of typical local dish you eat here. Again, with white wine, absolutely. Um, and it's just a wonderful place to, there's a little beach, a pebble beach, um, at the moment, there's a swan sitting on its nest on the beach. So you can swim in the lake and it's crystal clear. Absolutely delightful to swim in because the summers do get hot here. Um, yeah. As I say, you can take the boat across the lake, these paddle steamers across the lake and just walk, um, walk along. Oh, the... Sounds so restorative. <laughs> it is. And finally, we really, all of us who work in the travel industry, want to support as many hotels as we can because mm-hmm. they're going through such a tough time. It must be so hard to pick, but I wondered if you had a couple that you, that are at top of your list um, to go back to or that you'd like to recommend to some okay. of our listeners. Well, I'm glad you said a couple, Holly, because even even just whittling it down to two is really difficult. And oh, you're right, know. absolutely. I mean, I think we really, really do have to support local businesses, small hotels, restaurants, everybody, because it's been really, really tough. 
Um, my top two, after a lot of thought and in terms of that same restorative feeling that I think people will be searching for, um, my first one is actually um, in a chateau because some of France's most wonderful hotels, family run small hotels, I should add, not necessarily big five plus five star palaces, are in chateau. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely love Chateau de la Trenne in the lot, which is right next to Dordogne, but it's the quieter version of the Dordogne in southwest France. This chateau, it's it's just wonderful. I mean, it only has, um, it has 17 rooms, I think, the hotel. And it's absolutely the everything you would imagine a fairy, chate- fairy tale chateau to be. It has the round turrets. Um, oh. It's situated on a really, really steep cliff um, above the Dordogne River. So the views are absolutely magnificent. Um, it was built as a fortress in the 14th century and then rebuilt in the 16th, in the 16th century. Hence all the sort of the more flourish, the, the um, decorative flourishes and round towers. Um, it has a lovely Michelin star restaurant with a roof oh, terrace, candlelit on a summer night beneath the stars, staring down at the river. Again, it's a lovely, lovely place to be. That sounds absolutely magnificent. <laughs> it is. And so historic. Very much so. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, the interiors are all very much period furnishings. Um, it's really, but, but they're not so old that you think, ooh, a bit musty here. You really feel you're in a French country home. There's four poster beds, lots of them. There's a couple of coffered ceilings, a fireplace in most rooms. And it's lovely. And I must also give kudos to the owner, Stephanie. She's actually run this hotel since 1982 with her husband, Philippe. And Mm. her charisma, energy and passion for for her hotel, when you go there, is very much home from home be it you're in an absolutely wonderful chateau but her welcome just adds to the whole um aura it's it's a really lovely place to be sounds great well I'm I'm sold I hadn't heard of that hotel (laughs) and that really sounds like a place that I could imagine myself in a few months having a a glorious break so that sounds wonderful how about your second one my second one um again it's something of um uh, a mind and a mind and body retreat. Um, it's also actually in the south. Again, I must say I've been really picking these areas which they scarcely been hit by COVID and they are really the sort of the lowest risk possible. Right. It's Le Pré d'Eugénie, which is in a spa village of Eugénie les Bas. Um, in Les Landes, again in southwest France. So it's not that far. It's like an hour and a half drive from Bordeaux. So it's easy to fly into Bordeaux or Baritz as well. Both mm-hmm. airports are roughly an hour and a half drive away. Um, mm-hmm. And then, in fact, um, again, the, it's the owner and the family that make it even more extraordinary and that just leaves you reeling just think this place is incredible. It's run by the Gérard family, so Michel Girard. He um, has been at this hotel since the seventies. He's actually he's actually one of the only one of the few chefs in France to have three Michelin stars since nineteen seventy seven. And he sort of pioneered Nouvelle cuisine in the seventies, and then came up with um, a so called slimming cuisine years before it was considered fashionable to eat healthily. <laughs> he's still it's amazing. I mean, he has this, and he also realised that when people come stay in his hotel, they don't want to have you know, gastronomic meals every single evening. Um, So in his gastronomic restaurant, he serves gastronomic menus, but he also has his three-course, 600-calorie menu. And it's extraordinary. It's just 
vegetables and a lot of edible flowers which are grown in his garden and in fact a lot of the vegetables are also from his vegetable patch and um you you mm. feel you're eating like a king and it's 600 calories which is rather nice Amazing. Um, yeah but the actual hotel is a massive villa with the most extraordinary gardens and a spa which um is really really lovely oh really so is it a place that you would go for a spa specific retreat or could you just go there for a normal break I think for both I mean people definitely go for both I mean to be honest I think once you're there if you don't at least have one little visit to the spa you'd be absolutely crazy um I mean the the spa is in a beautiful I think it's like a 18th century wooden cottage in the grounds um so it doesn't really feel very spa like at all and for example there's one room which has got this open fire and you're you're lying in this milk bath in front of the fire Mm. I mean it's wonderful it's almost like you're in someone's home in the 16th century so what's it like lying in a milk bath oh it's just wonderful I mean it was like a citrus milk (laughs) bath I had um and you're lying there floating in this bath there's a fire literally in front of you with an you know it's a sort of a period um decorative um fire you know hang around oh extraordinary candles lit Mm. Very nice, very nice. Oh, those were wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been great to chat and to hear about so many of the wonderful places that France has to offer. It's been a real pleasure. And all I can say is I really hope to see you in France very, very soon. Me too. Thank you so much. Merci beaucoup. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 